This is the Roar and Peace podcast. I'm Kate Bierman, mom to a toddler and five rescue animals, two-term city council member and co-owner of three businesses with my business partner, Sarita Wilson. And I am Sarita Wilson. I have two grown kids, which makes me an empty nester. I'm married to a coffee roaster. I'm a wacky doggy daycare lady, industry disruptor, entrepreneur, and city council lady. I have too many animals to name. Hey, we are four grown-ass women of the apocalypse, and I am Sarita Wilson, known for my abilities to let dogs in and out without much regard for my own health and safety, and that can happen about 10,000 times a day, evidently. I am Kate Bierman, lazy housewife and apparently master gardener, since only one of my plants died in the most recent cold snap. Yes! Boom! I'm Jackie Braun, and this week I am an all-day pajama-wearing artist who's off her diet. And I've noticed when editing these podcasts, I am also a woman of few words. (laughs) But when she says them, they're very important. (laughs) And I'm I'm Suzette Grillot, and this week I guess I would describe myself as still a stay-at-home professor, beer brewer, and ukulele beginner. Aficionado. Uh, you're Beginner. better. I think you're better than I am, and I've been practicing I, for I, months. So, just so the listeners know, I did just play my ukulele for the team, and um, I've had it for 24 hours, and I've learned a song. It's pretty bad, but you're gonna see. You three have also eventually. developed. It's gonna be good. Developed a new band. Your new band, we, the, we, new, the new the new Ukes, and the new your first tiny desk concert today. <laughs> That's right. We we will we will be performing soon. Uh, the new Ukes. So. <laughs> so I think today we're going to have a sort of a theme to our question answer COVID-19 badass women podcast. And the theme is how has the world changed? I know we kind of talked about that on the other podcast episodes, but we're deep in this now. And And how do we think this is going to emerge for us? And I think we can put that through a couple of different categories. And I think I'll send it to Kate Beerman there to ask us our first question. So I I kind of started thinking this week as I started slowing down on the mask making, which I realized was definitely my coping mechanism. So I kind of slowed down on that and allowed my policy brain to fire back up. And so the first question that we're going to talk about today is, does the pandemic change what we consider to be patriotic? And I was thinking about this because yesterday I actually felt the need multiple times to thank the grocery store worker and the delivery driver and the fast food worker who is also keeping me off my diet. And I realized that historically we've pretty well tied patriotism to the military and, uh, you know, really putting a lot of emphasis on that. And it kind of occurred to me that this pandemic really kind of throws a spotlight on the other people that are kind of on the front lines and are really being our first line of defense against this pandemic. And so not just all the people that I mentioned, but also, you know, the janitors at our hospitals and And, you know, the other people that we kind of maybe take for granted on a regular basis. So take it away. Whoever wants to 
whoever wants to talk about that first. I'd love to chat about that. I think, thank you so much for asking this question because I've thought a lot about this as well. I I think it's been really heartwarming, for example, to see how people have turned out in hospital parking lots, for example, in their cars and, you know, are honking their horns and flashing their lights and the, the healthcare workers that, you know, can see through the windows or that come outside and see the support for them. I do think that this has really changed what we consider to be not, not necessarily thinking that people that serve in our military or whatever the case aren't patriotic. It's that it's, it's really expanded our understanding of what it means to serve the public. And so people that are working in, in our food industry and in our grocery industry, you know, that are working in fields and farms that are doing the day-to-day work to transport equipment, to transport our food, to clean up after us. And, you know, again, you mentioned, you know, janitors and hospitals, for example, having to be very cautious and conscientious about making sure that the hospital environment is sterile and disinfected. And so, you know, there are just, there's a whole opening up, I guess, of an understanding of who in our society is contributing to our overall health and well-being. And I think that's long overdue in many, many ways. I think these essential workers, you know, those who've been deemed essential, Um, have always been essential. And this has just magnified that for us. And so it's sad that it's taken a pandemic for us to see the importance of this kind of work and labor. And so I definitely see that it's helped us change or add to what is considered public service this time. I actually am glad you asked this question because I'm probably going to get blasted for this, but (laughs) um, lately in the past few years, I have considered patriotism kind of a, I've had a bad feeling about it. It kind of reminds me of like nationalism. And so I like thinking about it this way. more. I agree. We're all shaking our heads. We can see ourselves and we're all shaking our heads because I agree, Jackie. I mean, it's it's something that's maybe taken a bit of a, an ugly turn in some ways, you know, nationalist turn. And I don't, I have, it hasn't felt comfortable, but I think you're right. It's, this kind of brings us back to an understanding of our patriotic duties to our society, to each other, right? That social solidarity. It's, it's reflecting more of that to me these days. The social solidarity is a great word duo for me. I like that. I, I, I have felt since 2016 that whenever people overly display flags and patriotism, it's kind of been a turnoff for me because of our national, I don't know, conversation that's been happening and the hatefulness that's kind of bubbled up in the last few years. So this to me is like, I feel a lot more connected to people with different political views than me. I feel like we've found a common ground at this point and it's kind of survival. Uh, There's still some, the outlying dum-dums that are irritating to me, but I've found myself being a lot more appreciative and really, you know, feel that national pride. I saw recently on something, it may have, I don't know, some national program that we may be redefining the greatest generation. You know, we had that in the the World War II uh, folks and, and that this actually might be a defining moment for our collective and that how we're handling this will really be reflected in history. And there's definitely some change that's going to happen. And I described it earlier as, and my hope is that we emerge kind of like a butterfly better. Like Caterpillar was cute, but now we're a butterfly. And now you know, we can actually do stuff. Historically, that has been the case. 
you know, political shockwaves like this of all types tend to change our polarization. It happened in World War II. It happened um, after 9-11, even though I would say that the polarization probably wasn't quite as stark in 2001 as it is now. That historically has been the case. And, and I hope, just like you do, that it isn't different this time. That's why I like thinking about these things in policy terms now, because it actually makes me a little more optimistic. You know, there are so many policy changes that can come out of this and recognizing how hyper individualism can actually make this pandemic worse. And, you know, coming together as a community and helping each other and working together, regardless if we're doing it virtually, it can go one of two directions. We can either become more entrenched and more dug in and more hyper individualistic and throw the sick and elderly and disabled literally under the pandemic bus, or we can all come together. And I think, I think we're at that point right now where as a nation, we're going to go one of two directions. That's right. I, I completely agree with you, Kate. And I've been talking to my students about this. Sridi, you mentioned a defining moment. This is undoubtedly a defining moment. This is clearly a period in time where we're going to be thinking about kind of pre-pandemic, post-pandemic, you know, moment. It's not like we can go back to that, those pre-pandemic days. It's going to be something different. And so then is it going to be the fork that's taken in the road that leads us further down the path towards social solidarity, away from hyper-individualism? I mean, those are two polar opposites. And you know, even though we started this pandemic with people hoarding things and going to the store and just gobbling up whatever they could, because they obviously know that everybody's kind of got like, it's a dog eat dog world out there and everybody's got to do their own thing. I think as time has gone by, we have the opportunity anyway, to recognize the reality. And that is our survival, our individual survival is dependent upon what other people do. And so we have to be thinking more in terms of the social contract and how we're going to come out of this. And I'm optimistic too. I, I want to be optimistic. And it's because of young people that I'm optimistic, to be honest. I talk to them and it makes me optimistic. But, but we could very well also just further entrench ourselves and deepen the struggle. And, you know, the polarization could, could get worse. The widening gap between the haves and the have-nots could get worse. If we go that route, let's say, the struggle will just be this is you know pouring gasoline on that struggle and we're going to to really see the consequences of that if we don't take that pivot towards social solidarity so this is the moment that what this has done is it has exposed all of our weaknesses and all of our vulnerabilities and all of the things that we should be looking at going yep that's a problem not having health care not having affordable housing not having sick leave not having living wages not having you know, appropriate support for those that are considered essential workers. Those things are significant problems in society and are policy issues that we're going to have to take up, Kate, as you talk about policy solutions to this. If we don't do that now, when? When will we do that? Because well, those I'll, weaknesses have been laid bare for us right now. I'll, I'll tell you my fear of when, if not now, when it will be the next pandemic that is not natural. It will be man-made. And this might be the way to catch some of those conservatives who historically have seen patriotism in kind of a nationalistic light. We have to see pandemic preparedness as a national security threat. And, and exposing these weaknesses is a national security threat because we are kidding ourselves if we believe that this country or any other country has not and will not continue to experiment with biological weapons. And so if how we respond to this 
And the policy changes that come out of this will either hasten or push off further into the future any design by any, you know, bad actor, whether it's a state actor or just a localized cell of actors, that it'll either ma it'll make them feel empowered or weakened based on how we respond to this. And that is the only way I've been able to have this conversation with some of my most conservative friends is to say, you know, you, you seem to care about national security. Do you not see this as a national security threat? Do you not think that it's possible that any of, you know, a bunch of countries might be looking at our response to this and saying, okay, now we see. And how many times can we throw money at it? Right. Uh, how many times yeah, money, could we yeah. survive throwing money at it? Mm -hmm. Money money can only do so much, right? I mean, mm -hmm. it's just, it's only going to do so much, period. It's, and it's necessary. We, we, we found ourselves in a situation where we have to throw money at it the way in which we've thrown money at it, I, I mean, I think we can debate. But nonetheless, you know, the, the fact is, is we've had to throw money at this problem. And, and that, is a, that is a real lesson that we should learn because it's not going to be enough, right? There's going to have to be other, you know, considerations and real behavior change. And, and you're right, Kate. I mean, it, it, it not only lays bare all of our vulnerabilities and weaknesses to us, ourselves, in our own communities, but to the rest of the world. And this is a learning moment for everyone, everyone around the world. Yep. So, you know, this is not something that we can just say, oh, we'll, we'll get through this and then we'll go right back. I mean, this is really, this is, the United States has diminished significantly in its status and power because of this period. And we'll continue to do so as we do things like remove ourselves from multilateral institutions like the World Health Organization, et cetera. We, we will discontinue to, to minimize our role in the world. And the fact is, look, everybody needs to look at it right now. There's no way to fight these things alone. You yep. can't, no actor is gonna be able to address a global pandemic on their own ever, period. These are transnational, inherently international, global issues, period. Well, and I think that people really want this to be the pandemic of 1918, which it is not because we have open borders and not that I want closed borders in any capacity, no, but no. we have travel that's so accessible at this point. There is no putting that toothpaste back in the tube at this point. We have to globalize, honestly. Yeah. We can't be global just on a tourist level. And I think that's not just America. There's other countries that need to understand that they're going to have to soften their stances on things as well but we have got to know that this is a this is a much different time we have in in lots of ways like let's go to technology we were gonna we talked about technology how does that help us and hurt us well you know i think that technology up until up until this point um has been slowed drastically by bureaucratic institutions that tend to take a lot longer than the general population to adopt new technology. And we're seeing that shift with companies recognizing that their and employees recognizing that work from home can be just as productive as working in an office. You know, the, Medicare is now providing payment for telemedicine, which up until now they had outright refused to do, um, as not just don't want companies. to. Most insurance yeah, companies yeah. had like just mental health meeting, you know, was, was not covered uh, and, and they've had to change course. And can we, can we just talk to you about that? That underlying thread is trust in one another mm -hmm. as humans. 
Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. No, that's absolutely true that companies did not trust their employees to work effectively from home. Employees did not trust their companies to be responsive to requests to work from home. The government has inherent mistrust of new technology. I mean, Congress still can't vote remotely. Even our state legislature, I don't know if they've actually passed it, but they've at least make, made some significant progress towards remote voting. Well, like and open the, meetings. I mean, you and, all and know open the Open Meetings, meetings Act, Act the, the changes that were made there in order to allow for, for remote uh, meetings and cover under those statutes. So, I mean, all there are all kinds of ways in which technology is, is kind of those barriers are being broken down right now. And education, too. So, I mean, in education, we've got a lot of learning to, ironically, uh, engage in. You know, you mentioned, Sarita, you mentioned trust. And the fact that insurance companies, companies, governments, citizens, students, professors, whatever, are having to now engage from a distance like this, a physical distance through technology, that we're definitely learning that we can do it. But that trust factor that's really important, uh, that, that underlies it all is really critical because the fact is, is that there is concern about corruption and fraud and not being able to actually monitor what's happening, right? So it's like the Open Meetings Act change was really important because that allowed for that oversight from a distance, from a technological perspective. Administrators don't necessarily trust that faculty are going to do exactly what they need to do when they're doing it from a distance as opposed to in class. You know, insurance companies aren't necessarily going to trust that human beings are delivering the kind of service that they need to deliver when they're delivering it from a distance. So that there is that concern about trust, and it relates directly to the corruption and fraud that can thrive in a crisis, especially. And so we have to come to terms with that. We have to figure out how, as a society, to shift in a way that allows for these new technologies to break down those barriers, to do things in a different way, like we're doing right here, but do it in a way that builds trust, that you know requires trust, but that builds trust and that, that doesn't lead automatically or at least significantly to corruption and fraud and all of the things that come with that. So on that note, I feel like the bad players haven't necessarily bubbled up yet, but they will. Yeah, they're coming. Yeah, they're coming. And, and that's been an interesting watch. Last night at city council, we passed a resolution. It was just a resolution, which a resolution on the city council level is really just a, please, will you kindly, and this is what we're asking. But we basically said, let's let's all agree to not evict people for 90 days. And the pushback I got was, well, that's going to, people are going to hear that and think that they can just spend their money on whatever they're getting a stimulus package and they're just going to go out there and be crazy, you know, get tattoos or something. And I just, I just feel like that's kind of a patriarchal notion that if we don't check in with dad and have him oversee what we're doing, that we won't make good decisions. And I think of humanity differently. I think that People understand that that the world goes around by us paying our rent and our our landlord being able to pay their mortgage. And that that's, you know, we are all adults. There are a few bad players, but that we can all get on the same page. I do have concerns about whenever the the bad apples really start bubbling up, though. So and I I've actually started to see a little bit of that. And that's 
one reason why I, you know, kind of talked about the fork in the road a little while ago, uh, because one of the things that popped up in my news feed today, my apologies if it was one of my close Facebook friends who shared this or (laughs) it was something that they were involved in. There is a rally today at the state capitol, a drive through rally, basically saying open back up for business. Let's put all the immunocompromised and sick people and, you know, people who may not survive this pandemic in their homes. Let them make all the sacrifices. The rest of us need to get back to work. And when I I looked at that page a little bit and I realized that it is right wing driven. Um, It's happening in other states. Breitbart is a part of it. Uh, Freedom Works, um, you know, all of these, you know, really conservative right wing groups. And I know that here in Norman, we're pretty well inoculated from that. I don't think any amount of, you know, drive by city hall efforts is going to convince our mayor to lift her order before it is justifiably time to do so. I am not so convinced that that will not be motivating to our governor. And, you know, this is this is the kind of thing that I'm that I'm worried about in terms of policy driven efforts. But Zoom, the CEO of Zoom had to go on, you know, kind of a media blitz a week or so ago because their system was hacked. And it was hacked basically just by, honestly, I think it's just a bunch of 4chan dudes sitting at home who were bored but they were like <laughs> dropping pornography in education in like K tw- K through 12 education groups and like just joining college classrooms and using yeah. the n-word and drawing swastikas on the like screen just and being, things like that yeah, yeah just I mean just just sowing discord again I think a lot of them are just bored so that does concern me a little bit and I, I totally understood where the CEO of Zoom was coming from who was basically like yeah we were not prepared for this kind of attention on our platform from bad actors, you know, we were caught by surprise by the need for a platform like ours. We're trying to scale up our security, you know, as fast as we can while also maintaining a service that we know people are relying on. And so I do worry that if we continue, if we adopt technology too rapidly, that there could be some opportunity for some digital corruption right. in that regard. And, you know, I, I worry, I worry about international actors in that, in that realm as well. But at the same time, I think it's a necessity that we need to just push through with those perspectives in mind. And I, I know that a, a number of the, you know, the leadership teams for these technology companies are, are thinking that way. Social media is not technology. I think that's really important that when we talk <laughs> about technology, we're not just talking about social media yeah. and the actors there that don't really want to put too much regulation or control on their platforms. Uh, Technology is much broader than that. And there are actors in that realm who are not quite so monetarily focused. Um, But it is disconcerting to see groups like the one that did the drive-by at the Capitol because they're not, they don't have a policy direction. It's just open it back up. That's right. And uh, and that's happening, like you said, in other places. The the images coming out today of, uh, from uh, Michigan were pretty stark. There was a massive, the drive-by rally at the Capitol in, in, in Michigan. And it was, I mean, there were Confederate flags flying. There were people mm-hmm. running around, you know, arguing that this is a, a left-wing conspiracy, all of this, mm-hmm. you know, pandemic and keeping people home and trying to, you know, defeat Trump, all this stuff. It's just, it's, yeah. un, it's really unbelievable to me how people respond to actual science. But on this issue of bad actors and bad players, though, and fraud and corruption, I mean, it's shameless self-promotion here. But we have another podcast called Corruption is Deadly, where we're talking about corruption in the time of the coronavirus. 
And the fact is, is, I mean, there's just going to be a significant amount of corrupt, ugly nastiness out there. I mean, corruption and trafficking and illegal behavior thrive on crises, a period. And so we're just going to have, we're going to have it. The the problem is, is, is that the laws aren't strong enough to deter it. Mm -hmm. I I spoke with a federal prosecutor earlier this week, actually about this issue, uh, who will be a guest on, on the corruption is deadly podcast. And he said, look, law can only do so much, right? We can only, we can only do so much through laws and proclamations and resolutions, et cetera. We just, we, you know, there, there are other ways in which we have to, to deal with these threats and problems, but we're looking at, I mean, just in the medical industry alone, look, pre-pandemic, the medical industry, we were spending about $3 trillion a year on healthcare around the world, about 500 billion of that. Think about that, 500 billion of that is lost due to fraud, waste, embezzlement, et cetera. And that's pre-pandemic, that's pre-crisis, right? Imagine now that we've got the stimulus package, this $2.3 trillion stimulus package, we have these futures stimulus packages that will be coming, all of the opportunity that there is to steal, to divert resources, to personally benefit, right, from something that was meant to serve a public good, all of that has just been increased significantly and we can't prevent it. We can't prevent it fully, but we have to be very vigilant and, and report it and look for it and call it out. There was a, a case yesterday of somebody who was trying to defraud the VA, for example. Yes, did you I saw that? that story. I yeah, did. We're $750 million potential yep. gain from this person who um, was going to sell masks. It actually didn't have the masks, but was going to sell medical masks to the VA at an ele- significantly elevated price uh, worth about $750 million. And it's just flat out price gouging and fraud. And so we're going to see that. You know, but we're also going to see a ton of that stuff on a small level, 50,000 So here, you know, you know. Suzette, we actually, last night at city council, um, it was announced to us, it, I think this was something that stemmed from um, the mayor and staff about a business recovery package to include in the potential geo bond that we're looking at. And I know once I started hearing about it, I was like, okay, this is modeled after Oklahoma cities. And knowing that we had just had this conversation about you know, looking back at that Oklahoma City program and saying, maybe we should have done a little more due diligence before we pass the program. I started asking those questions last night. Who is going to be administering this program? Who's going to be making the determination about, you know, who receives it and who doesn't? Because it's only $5 million. It's not going to be a huge, you know, ton of money. Um, Who's going to sit... Yeah. Who's going to sit on the panel? What is the eligibility criteria going to be? How are we going to prioritize, um, you know, minority business owners or business owners that didn't receive federal, you know, federal stimulus money? And what are the reporting requirements? And exactly. And it was, how are they going to make this transparent? Crickets. And so, and then, and then I cracked open my email and saw that, poof, all of a sudden, uh, Norman Economic Development Coalition was sending us all kinds of stuff about all the great work that they've been doing over the last couple of years. And I was like, I don't think I've ever received an email like this from NEDC before. And so I was just like, you know, I see this happening already. And I was so thankful that I had had that conversation with you about, you know, what Oklahoma City could have done better and what they're going to have to try to do to, you know, get that toothpaste back in the tube. And so I was like, okay, if we can learn something from this, first of all, I'm not, I'm not so excited about the idea of increasing property taxes to fund something like this. But 
aside from that, no. if where the money is coming from wasn't an, wasn't an issue, then I would still maybe not have thought about these questions had we not had a conversation about trying to be as proactive as we can with something right. like this. And so I, I, I felt way more prepared to address that kind of brand new program that we hadn't had any information about before that evening than I otherwise would have. And it's really something that we have to think about. And that's just coming you know, from thinking about it. Flat yeah, we me, just have to think me, about it. Let me ask y'all a question that sends us in a similar but different direction. How do you think this uh, pandemic and the paradigm shift that is happening in front of our eyes ha will affect our class system that we have in America, even though we don't think we have one? But there's that fork again, you know, I mean, yeah. it's, it's, it's laying bare all of our inequalities, period. And I think we wouldn't have had to put together such a huge stimulus package if we had a stronger social safety net right from the get-go. I really think we're going to have to have a very serious conversation about universal basic income. Um, basic income, health care. Universal you know, child, we need a universal child care fund. I mean, I, we need a federal program education. to fund child care. I mean, like, Mm -hmm. I, you know, I mean, I firmly believe that part of the reason why we're in this situation with people so susceptible to misinformation about coronavirus is because their education system failed them, did yeah. not teach them science, did not teach them critical thinking, did not teach them how to look for the primary sources and not the secondary and tertiary reporting. Do we think that's tinged, at least in Oklahoma, by religion? Because it seems like religion has a tendency to um scoot education out of the way well we're getting into it now Woo. at the end of a podcast let's bring up religion yeah yeah throw a little more fuel on this fire shall we ladies <laughs> of the apocalypse but i do think but i do think to sarita's point um i do think that the stronger the religious bent of a state's population the less strong their foundation in science than critical thinking is. I'm not trying to cast aspersions on people who well, are religious. I want to but... cast a, a real quick aspersion having grown up in the Oklahoma <laughs> education system. I'm with you. I, my science teacher had to shut the fucking door so he could talk about science mm -hmm. because of the controversy. And see, mm -hmm. okay, so growing up in Vermont, I had two students who were forced to get up and leave our science classroom because they could not convince our teacher to talk about intelligent design. Uh, they thought that they were finding a wiggle way through of being like, well, you have to at least talk about intelligent design. And my science teacher said, no, I'm not doing that. And so, and he said, and if you don't like it, you can leave. Yeah. So, you know, I mean, I grew up, we had full, we had full sex ed. I grew up in a high school that had a, a little privacy curtain in the nurse's office that had a bowl of condoms. You could go in and take condoms at any time. So like to me and, and, and people in Vermont are fairly religious. They actually have a pretty high rate of people who respond to say that they are religious, but it's not the kind of religion that we have here in Oklahoma. Well, and I think sometimes, and this is Jackie, you and I will be on the, you know, on big the, on the hate mail list together. <laughs> but I feel like Oklahoma maybe has um, historically religion replaced education or yeah. was the education at some point in our early history. Um, and that came through and has come through and kind of survived. And I, I think that our education system is very tinged with religion 
in in the in that Southern Baptist kind of way too. And it's not, you know, it's the same thing that makes us not talk about sex ed. It's the same thing that makes us not, you know, we'd rather have pregnant 15 year olds than to talk about why you might get pregnant. It's a well, way I'll, tangent. I'll, I'll tell you what, we are going to revisit this issue in the next, because religion is a deep subject and it relates to all of the things that we've talked about. Everything from patriotism to how we do our work, to who we prepare for, to whatever we, you know, it's related. So we're going to come back to, to that. Mention, but not to mention that religion in a pandemic has totally changed. I Absolutely. have a number of friends in all different religions who are all different levels of religious uh, in their own religions. And the opportunity that there is for all of these congregations of all different stripes to reach out, to be broader in their outreach, to go online. Um, it allows people who might be questioning their religion to sample sermons from from different different sides of the religious coin. So I'm sure this is going to be a fascinating time for religion, yeah. and it's also going to be a turning point for religion as well. I mean, how do you fellowship? How do you congregate? Yeah. You know, the smaller congregations, I think, are going to thrive, and I think that these mega churches um, are probably going to be hit a little bit harder. Yeah. So, I mean, I, I really, we could definitely have a whole podcast. So, yeah. on Someone who was born from a Catholic mother and a Jewish father and who is herself an atheist. Um, <laughs> yeah. yeah. There's, there's a we, lot that we can talk about. There's a lot to talk about there, but we're going to end today with what we always end with. And that is what has brought us joy this week. And I, I literally like, I want to, not that I, I think Sarita's injury brought me any joy, but I, I, I want, I want this uh, rowing machine update because yeah. if, if those of you who listened, hopefully listened to our previous episode, you heard about Sarita's rowing machine purchase and how she hadn't told her husband about it, but then she was basically, she had to. So anyway, we need this update because it's going to bring I, us all some joy. I derive a lot of joy from this update. So, <laughs> so the great rowing machine debacle of 2020 um ordered a rowing machine during a time of uh, maybe inebriation it was a little altered and purchases. yeah and it got delivered to my office as planned because that's where all illicit purchases get delivered to and i waited strategically until the husband left for a camping trip with his high school buddies to bring the big giant box i had to like you know, wrestle it into my car, get it into the house and try to unload it. As I'm unloading it, I'm cutting stuff. Rob's gone. He's camping. I'm being sneaky. And I think, well, I can just put it in my office here at the house because he never comes in here. And then we could talk about it one of these days, whenever I feel like the time is appropriate. Or when he listens to the podcast. Yeah, right. Well, you can hear about it on the podcast. Well, that's kind of the great test that's of the, the idea. Anyways, are you listening to me? Yeah. So, uh, um, anyways, I am unloading it, and there's a what I call the 10-pound toe smasher, because guess what it did? It fell out and <laughs> smashed my toe. So I ran around the house, like, cussing, and, I, and it was swollen. I thought, oh, God, I'm going to have to go to get my toe I don't know, x-rayed and I'm going to catch a deadly pandemic virus. And so anyways, um, I, so I confessed to my husband, which he gave me the smirky, like, uh-huh, you know, okay, well, and he kind of judged me openly and, and said, you know, we'll deal with it when I get home. 
And now I would like to also I'll deal with like, it or I'll deal with you. I would like to like sort of asterisk this with I don't I love him dearly and I respect him, but I don't fucking care what he says as far <laughs> as like you can't buy that. That's right. But there's that embarrassment factor. Like, like I'll buy what I want. Uh-huh. Yeah. But um uh, you know, there's that, you know, we're in a we're we're a team. We 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 make decisions together and most of the time it's me giving him the stink eye about something he's he's purchased. So as all good marriages do, like he comes home. And he just unloads a pile of shit he had already bought that I didn't know about. <laughs> that he was uh, hiding. So he gives me like, oh, but I love you anyways. It's okay. And hug, hug, hug. And then, and then, oh, but here's a, I don't know. He came, he had all kinds of stuff, like a, a, a skillet. He bought a skillet. I don't know why I need a skillet. But I can't judge because there's that. But anyways, I have a big bruised toe, a little bit of a bruised ego. And a very funny story to tell for yeah. the rest of my life. Probably. And and a rowing <laughs> machine. And a yeah. rowing machine yeah. that I have not used since I put it together. <laughs> Which I think I think Jackie, Suzette, and I are probably going to put a little pool together that we're not going to tell you about about when the first time is that you're going to actually <laughs> use this rowing machine. Uh, yeah, it's going to uh, be about never. Hashtag never. So can I say what brought yeah, me? Yeah, what's bringing you joy, Kate? Okay, so two things. One is that um, last, I think it was probably Thursday, I broke into the last beer that you guys sent oh, me. The, oh. and the, it was the coffee one, the one that actually oh, okay. had some coffee in it. And that was the one of the best beers I've ever had. Oh, I don't okay. normally like stouts, but it was it was so delicious. It was really really wonderful. So that brought, I so agree with that. Too. Even Thank though we you. broke into it earlier than we should You have. did. <laughs> well, Jackie and I have broken into it. Well, at least I have. Yeah. I think Jackie's about I to break into it. I have not broken into it yet. Not I, have to, that, up. I have to make myself get out of the house and go get, yeah. go to the yeah. space and get it. I've had it, and it's amazing. It's really good. And it I, really, actually received it really an, I received an email from somebody else that I had delivered some to who said this is one of the best beers he's had. So thank yep. you so much for loving that. Well. And that's it's a joint effort between our beer making and your coffee that making. Was, so. And that was that was Yeah. And that's I'm, I'm the, not going to say that I was skewed because knowing that, um, because <laughs> I wasn't thinking about it when I was drinking it, but it is yeah. very, very true. So the second thing yeah. that brings me a lot of joy, and this happened early last week, so I probably could have said it on last week's podcast, and um, it's going to be the second thing, the second podcast in a row that I try and get through without tearing up. But so last week, I delivered masks to a resident who lives in one of the independent living communities in my ward, and I brought Ellie and um, so I brought them, I brought them to her and I was, you know, standing kind of six feet back and, you know, she's asking how the businesses were doing and I was telling her that they were closed and she was like, well, how are you doing personally? Like, how are your personal finances? Are you okay? And I was like, yeah, you know, I'm filing for unemployment and I'm pretty sure it's going to go through. Third thing that brings me joy. My unemployment went through this week. Oh Yay. my gosh. You have um, to give me some tips. Yeah. yeah. Oh yeah, we can. Okay. So. <laughs> I will, I will definitely help you with that. Um, so, and I said, well, you know, I'm doing okay, but you know, I'm better off than a lot of people. I have, I have family here or not here, but I have family who can help you help support me if need be. They've already told me that. And she was like, okay, well, you know, if, if you need to, I, I can write you a check right now. Oh, wow. And I was like, no, 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 you definitely don't need to do that. And she was like, no, I mean, she was like, I could give you, I can give you $5,000 right now. If oh, you need wow. to. I didn't Gosh. have kids. I, and I was like, I, uh, I, I almost burst into tears, like holding Ellie because I, I know her fairly well, 
she is not family. I am just her city council representative. And I just, I go there whenever they need me to, to talk to their, you know, 10 a.m. on Monday coffee and donuts group. And she just cares so much that she was willing to give me what probably amounts to a large chunk of her savings and just was, was ready. And she was like, I've got my checkbook. Like I will write it for you right now. And I was like, no, please, please don't like, please don't. But she just, and I, I, I think I've been thinking about that every single day, just over and over and over again. Like we need more people like that. Yeah. There are angels among us though, like that. They really are. And yeah. so I, I think about it every day, multiple times a day. Like yeah. I just can't get it out of my head that she just offered me money. Like, and, and yeah. I don't need it. And I would, even if I did, I wouldn't have taken it, but we need people yeah. to think like that in this right. time. And she does. And it just, it just, it brings me a lot of joy every time I think about it. So Jackie, what about you? It starts as a sad story. <laughs> oh my goodness. You're going to make us cry no, before you make us laugh. This isn't, a, this isn't a cry story for you guys. Um, so I had this on and off relationship thing with this guy and not, and it was on during this pandemic, <clears throat> kind of. And we decided to do a, a Skype date where we were going to cook together. And oh. I sent him a list of ingredients. We we're going to make cocoa va. And I sent him a list of ingredients. And I, I was so excited because I love to cook. I was so excited. So I prepared all of my ingredients. I got them all ready. And he got really crabby about it. And I canceled. I ended up canceling. But, so that's the sad part. But that gave me the idea to do that for the third mm-hmm. space. To do a I little, saw that today. Yeah, to do a little cooking class. So I am super excited about that. That yeah. makes me very happy. That's going to be that's going to be awesome. That's going to be so great. Lining. Yeah, I yeah, think it'll well, be fun. My second thing that I'm joyful about this week is first of all I want to preface this with my daughter Lily lives with me. She doesn't have a car payment. She doesn't have a lot of bills, but she got her stimulus check today and she's spending it on something she's going to install in our third bedroom that she, by the way, like completely redid during the I thought pandemic. it was going to be a rowing machine. Well, it's, <laughs> it's a little more risque. A pole. Stripper pole? pole? Yes. Yeah. A, dan- a dancing it. pole, Sarita. It's I'm, not oh, a sorry. stripper pole. It's a dancing well, pole. Yeah. It's an exercise pole. <laughs> I want one. Yeah, she <laughs> used to take classes, uh, pole classes, and she stopped going for whatever reason, but she's always wanted one. And now we have this room that she's completely redone, and she said, I want to put a stripper pole in there, and she calls them stripper poles. And so that wow. brought me joy. The stripper pole. That, stripper pole brought me joy huge, this week. Huge joy. And it definitely plays into that, I don't know, that theory that people <laughs> get a stimulus check <laughs> might spend it on stripper poles. I don't know. How stimulating. <laughs> Look, she is stimulating the economy. Yeah. No, she's stimulating the economy. Yeah. Stimulating something. At least. And you know what? Person. She's a grown-ass woman, and she can That's do what right. the fuck she wants. That's yeah, right. Well, That'd if if her mom lets her, because she lives <laughs> in my house. Uh, well, there's that part. Jackie's not the only one that's lost a partner through the pandemic, but you know, that's okay. Um, I gained, I gained a daughter this week. So my joy definitely comes from having my daughter. If you recall a week ago or so, she was in quarantine a couple of miles from my house. So she just moved back from DC, but she's in my house now. And she's now my ukulele teacher. 
And so um, I am now learning to play the ukulele. Are you going to give us a little ditty? (laughs) I can't can't do the ditty yet without like uh, really screwing it up. Well, well, I got but, mine. But we can leave us today with a little, a few chords on the, ti- a, the tiniest desk concert. <laughs> the tiniest of tininess, because this is what's bringing me joy right now. <laughs> We're getting better. We're going to get better. Anyway. Hey, every week it's going to sound better and better. <laughs> it's better, better. Is that, I just want to say that, you know, 10 years from now when we're on the, I don't know, Academy of Country Music Awards <laughs> or whatever. We'll be saying, remember yeah. when they laughed remember at us? When, exactly. Remember, remember when? Those, remember those awful A minor chords that we played? <laughs> yeah, so it's so. Yeah, it was good. It was bringing joy, though, and I love it. You all bring me joy every week, so thank you. Yeah, I that. love this podcast, by the way. This is this yeah. is fun. This is uh, uh, relevant and important, in my opinion, and I, it really brings me joy. So thank you guys for doing this. For grown-ass women. So, and you can find Sarita and I at RoaringPeaceProject.com or on Facebook. And you can find us at OurNameIsAmplify.com. We'll see you next week. All right. Whoopity, whoopity. Bye, everyone. Bye. Bye.